Hey everyone, it's episode 179 of 15 with Andy, Randy, and Richard. Mm. Mm. It's got a nice ring to it. It does have a nice <laughs> ring to it. Sweat-tember and hot-tober have officially passed and November has arrived. New temperatures, new humidity levels, and a new outlook on the next six months of life here in Florida. Along with November comes a new series here at the Hospital Church exploring our musical journey of faith and who better to guide this expedition than our very own Richard Hickam, Minister of Music. And But that's just like I, – I was going to make a pie chart, but then I realized nobody could actually see yeah, the pie chart. This is a podcast. But I'm like, how much of Minister <laughs> of Music is Richard? You know, we, we're like or, – we do orchestra. We work – you know, we're all over the place. That's all Minister of Music. Is it all yeah. – <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it is. But it's all within it is. Minister of Music. It is. But this is just a little slice of your pie. You're a busy this guy. Is. So thanks for this being is here. the best part of this what is- I do for sure. <laughs> this is the most important thing that I do. Awesome. This is the reason I came to Florida. I'll tell you that. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. So, did, real quickly, how did you get to Florida? Well, I don't. I don't know the story. The, so I'm the pre-story is that <laughs> I was a, a, a teacher at a high school in, in Collegeville, Tennessee, Collegeville Academy, and I would bring my groups on tour down here. Ah. And my best friends attended this church. And when I would come down to go to Disney or whatever, we were looking for a place to play on Sabbath. And so we connected mm. with Alan Dela Cruz. And right from the beginning, it was a very special relationship. That's cool. We brought our orchestra in. And it was Sarah and Albert who were singing, and Sarah – we still talk about that day, that first <laughs> time we did in Christ Alone. Yeah. And then eventually Andy asked me if I'd be interested in coming here, and it was right after I'd been on my first mission trip. It felt like the thing. We prayed about it, and here we are, here we eight are. years later. Eight years Zoom. later. Wow, that went fast. Yeah, real fast. That's really cool, though. Real fast. You never know. See, that's the thing. You, you just you never, never know. know. That's pretty awesome. All right, real quick. Last week, we faced the final assault from a series that challenged our thinking and maybe into a new light, some of our most cherished Bible verses that coincidentally we often misuse from their intended or original context. And in the end, we were faced with a few small phrases with big implications. What the Bible says is so often not what I have been taught it says or what I think it says or what I want it to say. The Bible is bigger than I am. It does not care what I like. So that kind of flows into this week. But if you missed any of those messages, I would encourage you not to. Hospitalchurch.org, Apple, Google Podcast, and of course, streaming on Spotify. And I really felt like that rolled into this week simply because the Psalms always seem to be this milk chronicles. That's how I perceive people's perception of Psalms. When it comes to theology, like, well, that's a lot of really feel-good, quotable kind of things, and but there's not much meat for the spiritually mature. Agree? Disagree? Thoughts? Well, first of all, it's great that you have both Andy and I here because whether or not you know it, Andy is not a huge fan of the Psalms. Yeah, yeah Jesus quoted more than any other book, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be a slogan in there somewhere, doesn't there? No, so, I, actually, Richard, I was thinking, thanks for a good conversation. I was thinking <laughs> about this today, actually, in preparation for this <laughs> podcast, and thought, I think you inspired me to go back and take another look at the Psalms. So, oh, well, see, well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, then what, what is it about the Psalms, though? I mean, obviously, you have a different perspective on the Psalms because – our worship team this week, and I'm sure that that was led out by you knowing that you were going to be speaking, but all the songs were taken from the Psalms, right? And yep. that was, we had interpretive dance. We had a variety of style. Like we had Shannon up there singing. 
just beautifully acapella and then you had music and upbeat and more slow. And all this makes us want to sing, to worship, to dance, to pray over them, maybe more than any other book, but yet we're still in that quandary. What about the Psalms lends itself to worship? Because I think that's really the big part of what I took away was this is really about worship. And often I just think of it as short snippets of stories or of... Yeah, one of the things that Richard said in the in the sermon that speaks to that is that it's the only book of the Bible written to, to God. God. Yeah, and I think that really is what sets it apart as a worship mm-hmm. chunk of of a body. Mm-hmm. I agree. I want to back up just a second because you started talking about the dance that started it, and that was specifically though a Jewish messianic dance. And so Desi Hernandez, who did that dance, is a messianic Jew who's also a Christian Mm -hmm. and comes and worships with us on occasion. She also goes to her own messianic congregation. And so sometimes we do have people who do more of just kind of an interpretive Christian dance artistic form, but She's the real deal, and yeah. that and, oh, yeah. and that came across oh clearly to the congregation because that was probably the biggest thing I had comments about, yeah. and it was inspiring to me, and so that really set the tone for who God is, and this this really the Psalms is really a, an artistic outlook on God, and and it's, it's so descriptive, it's it's all over the place, and again though largely founded from David, others many others in there, but we get that bulk from him. Well, I liked it because it really – I guess what struck me about all those different things that we just talked about, all the different songs, the dance, the singing, even the different styles amongst that, and every person as you looked at the stage looked different. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just like mm-hmm. – it really felt like this is an inclusionary process that there's something in all of this book that can speak to everybody. Like almost we can all find common ground maybe. In Psalms, and I hadn't thought about it that way until I didn't obviously know there was going to be the dance part of it, but that was very, very cool. And of course, Emily, I was sitting <laughs> on the front row with one of her arms tucked under mine, going, You cannot go on the stage. <laughs> no, you're, not, you're, not jo- you're not joining her. And she's, she like, and she's like, Daddy, I won't go dance. I'm like, No, no, <laughs> yes. no, no, not, not today, not today. <laughs> but it really made me feel like this was so inclusionary, and I've never really thought about Psalms that way before. I mean, is that something as you're looking at putting this together? Things are just open in all areas for you to be as creative as possible as a music minister or as a worship leader? Absolutely. I think it's the book of Psalms where I find the most freedom as an artistic person. And particularly from David's outlook, one of the things I just said in one sentence and I didn't get to elaborate on at all is the fact that he created so many instruments. And yeah. uh, we have a couple of verses that talks about him doing that and then them using them for worship. But God didn't tell him to do that. He just did it. Hmm. As a matter of fact, there are some people and some traditions that argue that that's one of the first places that, that we started going wrong, that David took too much <laughs> liberty, right? <laughs> that David had too much passion, this, this whole thing. But hmm. – My viewpoint is that, wow, I have this real freedom to be creative for God and that what he did then influenced those around him. So his private worship became the public expression. Yeah, And I just love that thought that it applies to all of us in our own families. What we do personally will affect those around us. And it gives us permission, David's writings, to also speak in hyperbole if we like. (laughs) 
Of course. I've never failed you. I've always been faithful. Oh, my goodness. It's so true. I mean, and if you know musicians, they're all all in. They're all in or they're all out. They're not halfway in about it. That's right. Passion's a good thing. That's essentially David, though, right? I mean, David was always either all in or all out. Even yet, with all of the the well chronicled ups and downs of his entire life, he still comes out as a man after God's own heart. And I wondered, as you were talking about the Psalms and how just inclusionary this seems to be, do you think it may be part of the reason that we resonate so well with it is because we resonate with David because we see someone that we're like, I haven't committed adultery, and you know David's was known everywhere, and. Maybe we can look at David and see this person who was still, after all that, a man after God's own heart. Maybe there's hope for us. Well, it may be in the, also in the, in the angle of Christ's words about it, unless you become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, I like and, that. And that, that whole passion and all in this in everything yeah. is much more childlike than, that, than the reserved held back. I'm going to protect myself in this thing. And David's coming clean with God and, and just being who he was, I think, has a lot to do with his being a man for God's own heart. I like that. Richard, you quoted American songwriter Pete Seeger. I thought this was really cool. <laughs> it's great. On the power of music, applied specifically, and listen to the last line of this quote towards the Psalms as you applied it. It said, some music helps you survive from your troubles. Some music helps distract you from your troubles. Some music helps you understand your troubles. Some music helps you do something about your troubles, speaking about the Psalms. From your perspective in this, what is the power of the Psalms in this? Maybe it's in the form of music that can have us, I don't know, help us do something more about our troubles than to just be that part of David that would cry out to God. Or is that the part because he cried out to God? What do you think about that? I think that those Psalms can be a hopefully a transformative place because there's a lot of David crying out to God. And yeah. I think that once we can start expressing versus holding it in and just contemplate on it, but that it's often physical, verbal, however it is, but that expression starts a transformation to start a process and of healing in some way. So it could be a, could be to God and then to be those around us. But I think that it could be a place where there's a turning point, a pivot. So how do you go into this as a mu- minister of music and you're saying to yourself, because really we want the, the singing and the praising and the worship time corporately. We want that to be something that we are crying out to God or we are giving praise to God. How can you specifically harness that? Do you have a story where you've seen something where you really felt the spirit move within within music and maybe it was through a psalm? I guess what I'm asking is how do we help people let go of this stuff? I mean, maybe you're not a singer necessarily. You know, you go to church and you're like, man, the worst part of church <laughs> is going and have to stand for five songs and I don't, you know, I can't I can't carry a tune. I'm no good at this. I don't really enjoy it. How do we help people release what you're talking about and through music maybe even if they're not um, so much into the participatory part of it? So that's a great point and it's something that I try to stress periodically is that corporate singing is not for good singers and and it's really (laughs) addressing something that you just hit on here that some of my favorite memories – well, not totally favorite but (laughs) is of people who can't sing who – are expressing themselves. And that's when you can get someone who knows they can't sing to cry out to God, to cry yeah. out to God yeah. because they're so moved. 
that's the win. I mean, of course, great singers are going to sing. That's what they're built to do. The thoroughbreds are born to run. Yeah. But it's the ones who have no voice, who don't think they have a voice, but they're so compelled that they feel the need to crowd. That's my goal. My mm. goal is to connect to those people. My goal is every time I'm always eyeing the crowd. Those of you that are listening, I'm always watching <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm always watching. What can I do to get them to sing? And so you get the people I'm watching. Them. There's the people who are eyes shut, two hands in yeah. the air, yeah. and a slight sway, and they are picturing the heavenly throne and – God is being praised. And then there are people who are standing near the back and they're kind of looking around. And so, you know, what, what is, and, and so from, for my profession, though, there's also this balance point between a real level of authenticity and not trying to control and control manipulate it. the yeah. crowd, which is another subject about contemporary worship, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, which, which I do. And so I really struggle with, Good theology, good music principles, sound and decibel levels, all these things to try to not manipulate people but to use it as I see that God knows we were built for music. God includes music in worship. It's one of the few things that that we've always been – because we were built that way as humans and he knows that. And so how to do that properly is is a thing that I – yeah, and, and I go back and forth on that. Yeah, and, and, and the music can sometimes for a non-musician, I mean, I love to sing, but I know there's people that really don't. And I think for the non-musician, maybe they never actually open their mouth, but their whole heart and soul engages with the song mm-hmm. still. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's okay to let the worshipers, let the music engulf the worshiper. So the worshiper becomes a participant. The goal is the participation of the congregation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's what the difference is between performance and music and, and worship and music. I mean, yeah. the performance is it's the performer performing. And this is about us leading the congregation in a moment of worship to God that hopefully will engage even the non-singer. Maybe they just sit there and think about the words in their head, or maybe mm-hmm. they say them out loud, yeah, or maybe yeah. they maybe they give them horrible voice. That's uh, possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and but that's okay. Joyful noise unto the Lord, kind of thing. Yeah. So, but one story. Let me let me just I'll just give you because you asked for that. Yeah. It wasn't specifically about the song, but I just remember a person who's a member of this congregation who's not particularly a vocalist and um, has a – it's not a rough exterior but but more stoic kind of personality and not something. And, and they were just talking about how when this certain song, the way the lyrics and the music hit them, the tears started to roll. And, and when, when someone – tells me something like that, that 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 connection has been made to God, not because of something or whatever, then I feel really, wow, that is a great moment. Well, it made me think of a time, um, Catalyst Conference happens every year in Georgia, and uh, Steve Fee, uh, mm-hmm. it was one, I think it was the second year he played there. And he said, you know, don't, don't be shy. I'm not hearing you all. I mean, you've you've all had coffee. It's all free in the, in the corridor. I know you've (laughs) had coffee. There's 13,000 people here. And he's like, you just got to go to the person next to you. Hey bro, I'm about to light this up and I can't carry a tune. So beware, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to praise God. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's pretty bold. Mm -hmm. And when I walked in this week, I had the first person that greeted me at the door said, 
shook my hand and she said, thank you so much for doing the podcast. She's like, it's the first thing I do on Wednesdays. I love it. I love, I love coming to church and getting the message and then hearing you guys talk about it afterwards. And then someone immediately followed that by, what are you going to talk about on the podcast for the next three weeks? Music? How's that going to work? It's not a musical podcast. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm sure we'll find something to think about. (laughs) And then I was immediately thinking of a family member. They're not a big fan of singing or like, can't we just sit for music? I mean, do we have to stand? So it's a little bit of like, nah, you know, whatever. And so that's what kind of prompted that thought was how do we connect with those people? So I think that's really important. And I, I like what you shared because I think people listening have a better understanding of it's not just let's pick five songs. And if y'all could play on key up front, that'd be great. And, you know, follow along and out there if you can. It's very specific as to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that gets, yeah, I think that gets lost sometimes. Much more intentional than, than people imagine it to be. Yeah. And, and I think it's also okay for us to say that churches have a style in the way they do it. We have a pretty wide variety here. Absolutely. But there's people that will come here and not like it because there are those three weeks out of the month that are not their variety. Yeah. Wherever that angle is. Sure. And the cool thing is, is that if it takes that mono-focus kind of experience for them to worship, there's opportunities close by. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, and I think that's one of the first things that I noticed when we started coming here. Before we even became members, we were kind of, you know, circulating around here and there. And what I liked about it was that every week was something different. I remember it wasn't too far after we started coming and Richard got up front and Polly was sitting down right near the front. And he's like, well, Polly – you're probably not going to want to come next week. It's bluegrass, you know, and she was just like, and she just sat there shaking her head. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't know the joke at the time, but you know, if this isn't your week stylistically, hang on next week is probably going to get closer. And if it's not the next week after that, I appreciate more types of worship music when it's mixed up and it's done intentionally around whatever we're talking about. When you start to feel that groove and you give it a chance, you start to realize, like you said, there's a lot more that goes into this than just, what you might assume. It's more inclusive that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. So let me comment on that really quick. The two things that that I think about is that, A, this is the year of our Lord, 2019. And, you know, since technology has increased, people are familiar now with genres. Mm -hmm. They, They go to a place, they hear the thing. And so we have a multicultural congregation. So in order to speak the language of our congregation, we musically speak a bunch of styles. So it's not like a it. gimmick. It, no, is, no, it is a thing because I personally like a lot of things and I think other people do as well. So that's one. But here's the biblical theological reason why I do it. Mm-hmm. And that is because Jesus said the most important commandment is this, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul – and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's that second part is where I feel like if we are going to love our neighbors truly, then we have to sacrifice at the altar our preferences of music Hmm. and realize that this is someone else's, someone else is doing this. And if we're only mono in our music, then it's only about us and our club and our tribe 
then we're missing the boat. So I do ask for a level of maturity of our believers. And I, so that's. I can't just have James Taylor and saxophones. Well, <laughs> that would be good. I'd be there. You could. <laughs> you could, but. No, I liked it. I don't know if I've ever really thought about it in specific points like that. It's really important. The fact that there's so many different styles and. Once you can get past, and some people can't, that there are more than one style that could possibly be holy, and even then you realize that what our offering to God is, what he's called those, it yeah. really doesn't matter. But not just holy. It's it's an application of Paul saying, I've become all things to all people, so well, that by all means that some, some might be saved. Yeah. So if the person comes in who, in their pagan state, just cannot hear if it sounds like this. Yeah. And we have enough variety that all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, I can hear that. That that I can hear. I yeah. can't hear that. And so that's – I think it's really important. It's for the sake of the gospel. It's for the sake of unity. It's for the sake of loving our neighbors ourselves. It's really yeah. – it's, it's critical to our intent as a church. Mm-hmm. If you've ever been to a worship service here – I've never left feeling like anything was contrived as far as music or the, the planning of – I hate to use the word program, but you do put things in order for a specific reason and you do create a an ambiance and you create a program that you feel is going to do, like you said, if it brings the tear, if it touches the heart, I mean, that's the goal every week. So I think that maybe the most powerful thing to take away from your message was that nearly a third of all the Psalms are of lament or sorrow. And I think that flies directly in the face of the idea that this book is merely just a collection of that milky stuff that nobody needs to know about. But the quote that you gave from John, was it Whitflit? Is that mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm, was, mm-hmm. It was really beautiful. He said, laments give voice to our pain, but lead us out of that pain by God's strength. Laments are our great prayers of hope, for they remind us that we belong to God, that God's care will sustain us and protect us, and that God's justice will, in the fullness of time, restore justice. That was pretty cool. And I'm not sure where the, the graphic came in, but you listed this lineage of David starting with Salmon and his, you know, Baez, whose mother was Rahab the prostitute, Mary's Ruth, have the son Obed, Father Jesse, Father David. And of course, this all goes down to Jesus. You said our lineage does not determine our outcome. And I thought that's a pretty powerful graphic when you see it all broke down. And you think, here's Salmon, he's out with the Israelites in the desert. And I just want to pause right here. And it's like, right have, you guys, have you guys ever thought that through before? Because it struck me. That's why it brought me <laughs> such a big deal about it. Because I'd never no. thought that he was out in the wilderness. And there was this the transfer from Moses to Joshua. And so if he meets Rahab, he had to have been at Jericho, which was the first yeah. right at the front <laughs> end there. So I, anyway, that was really – yeah. Mind-blowing me. Now, I mean, it was cool from that perspective just because it's something that you've never thought about in that yeah. way before. And you get that realization and you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Well, but- it's pretty cool and, and, until you really think about the possible family scandal and oh, yeah. and shames mm-hmm. and harassments and, you know, what are you thinking? You're not going to marry <laughs> her, are you? And who picked her for you? And uh, it's just in that culture in that time, it just is – it really is a little mind-boggling. And pro- yeah, and think about – what the other people with kids coming up is, oh, is this what this is going to mean now that we're, my children are going to be marrying these yeah. foreign pagans? Uh, which is against the whole Which rules. is the whole thing that the yeah. Jews were yeah. this tight cluster. Well, yeah. and that Jesus comes from this lineage. Yeah. And it's just one more way that he's like, oh, you think you've got it bad, you know? <laughs> and like you just said, the time that this all happens and the culture and it's like, see what I came from? Mm-hmm. And just our lineage does not determine our outcome. And you said that. 
oof, that really hit home. So after preparing for this and thinking about the Psalms and music, and I don't, whichever angle you prefer to take, what's the one thing that you just hope that everyone would take away from this message specifically? Mm-hmm. I've preached a message and it's like, why did I end with that? That was dumb. <laughs> I told, that's not, that's not it at all. I should have went, I should have went over here. So the one thing would be, would ha- would need to be the pastoral thing. And that is <laughs> in that lineage piece that we are all children of God. Yeah. That this is a shared story. I sometimes get hold into my story mm-hmm. and my problems and my, but we are all in this together and that's really what the family of God is about. It's what why we come to church. We're here for each other. We're here to share each other's ups and downs. So again, I mentioned that we had a baby shower one hour on Sunday, and we had a funeral, funeral the next dinner. hour. Yeah. And that that is the fullness of life, and those are meant to be shared things. And, and we're becoming more and more a fractured society. And so church for believers is the place where we can come together and share those. So I hope that that was a piece that came through. I didn't talk about all those things in, in <laughs> with my fact sharing day, but that that you are the child of God and we are. It's hard to get to everything. Yeah. Oh, you can't. Yeah, there's, <laughs> no, there's no way. The, the fact that we're a child of God is that we still see ourselves as the star in our own movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, everybody yeah. like. You know, y'all are just extras, guys. I'm just <laughs> telling you, I'm the star. And vice versa. Y'all are the star sure. and I'm, we're the extra. And yet it's really God's movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we're all players and who get to be with mm. the story Yeah, and, as opposed to it being our story. It's really his story mm-hmm. and, and we get to be part of it. That's what Ellie said. She's like, guys, it's his story. Mm. Don't you get it? And I'm like, I do, girl, I do. <laughs> all right. This week, one of our FHE takeaways asked, who around you needs to be adopted into your family? And I thought about this and I'm like, you know, if we just use our eyes, we can be so callous. We can avoid anybody. We can put them in their place with a glare. We can choose just to completely focus on anything but them. Or we can see them as family and our heritage as the family of God. Check out the closing story to Richard's message if you missed it. And it will lend a different perspective on this and being a part of the family. And you think about it that way after listening to that story, if you already heard it, you know what I mean. It gives you a different perspective of who might be right there around you that And in that case, it was very obvious that this person would have been needed to have been adopted into somebody's family with the treatment they were getting. So something to think about for us this week. And our final thoughts this week are short and sweet, but a fitting end to Richard's message where he reminded us that our heritage is the family of God. Take a sticky note and a pen, put that on your desk, computer monitor, dash of your car, whatever it takes. As a daily reminder this week, I crossed out the hour and substituted my because I'm the star of the film. No, just kidding. (laughs) But it's a good because it's a good reminder that my heritage is the family of God along with everybody else. All right. What is on our playlist for this week upcoming? I'm so glad you asked because I forgot to use this this line. So you are the fortunate people who get to to get to house because what I meant to say at the end of the sermon was that this coming week is the week you can invite all your ultra conservative friends and we can pretend like we do this every week because yeah. we are going to be uh, marching through um, – what's called the golden age and and uh, that is just this time period roughly this is very loose but 1700 to 1850 where we just had an explosion we had the great awakenings and then from those came our response through song and these 
magnificent what? songwriters. And before we came into an era now where we have so much that we waste our time with, we had these people who would write thousands of hymns. It's this high point of Victorian language and, and mixed with the great classical music. And so that's why we still are singing these songs today. So we're going to talk through that and we're going to have our choir here. It's, it's going to be a best of, and I try not to do the really famous songs that we sing regularly. We sing a lot of the great hymns, but they're, so I try to go just under those and, and then connect stories with the great, and I'm only going to hit, I only have time really to talk about three and that's going to be Isaac Watts, the Wesley brothers and Fanny Crosby. Mm. There could, that list could go on and on, but, but those I don't three, know, Fanny Crosby, the, the, <laughs> the output is so great and they transformed so much. So, so we got choir, we got hymnals. Do we have organ? We're going to have organ for the opening hymn. Nice. And then when we get into this medley of the real singing, we're going to do this great medley of hymns. I just wanted the piano yes. because I want to focus on the voices. It's a really a philosophy that Andy and I talk a lot about is just – the purpose is not – and I'm an instrumentalist. I'm a conductor. I love big ensembles. But the purpose and the focus is about the human voice and it's about the congregation singing as one. And so I really am going to emphasize that in the sermon. I'm going to try to portray that with what we're doing with our singing time and and we're going to see what happens. But I'm, I really think it's going to be great. And that's what that's what happened throughout history. I mean it was – I mean the piano even is a luxury. Just people in these little churches, little wooden churches yeah. with great acoustics and the voices. Very so, few organs but a lot of, a lot of piano, yeah, more yeah. pianos and, yes. and more yeah. probably without anything. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the instrumentation that's happened and I've got a clip or two about – where we can see some really fascinating things. All right. All that and Richard in a three-piece suit and wingtips mm, coming yeah, this week yeah. to Florida Hospital mm, Church. You're not going to want to miss part that. part of that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Two-piece. All, <right. laughs> All right. As always, do join us again next Wednesday for Episode 180. Thanks for listening and have a great week.